praise the Lord. Well, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago uh, our Wednesday noonday services. Those have been going on for a while now, and we've been kind of meandering together through the book of 1 Peter. And the last two lessons we've looked at in 1 Peter really have a lot to say about how God expects you to treat other people, and especially about how God expects you to treat people whose cares or concerns are different from your own, and sometimes how to treat other people who are occasionally unkind or possibly even cruel to you. And apparently that's a word God wants to get to his people because this week in one of my micro groups where we're walking together through the book of Romans, we came on to Romans 14, which also has a lot to say about the same subject. And I want to talk to you about that for just a few minutes this morning. So just to get us focused and moving, as you're able, would you stand with me please in honor of the word of God? And we're going to read together uh, just to get moving, uh, Romans 14, verses 1 to 4. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. I'll read the plain text. If you join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through the passage together. Um, Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, we want to encourage you to take some time this week to read through the entire 14th chapter of Romans because it has a lot to say about how you and I are to conduct ourselves in this present atmosphere of anger and confusion and fear, an atmosphere in which people are, are taking polar opposite positions, even within the church, then digging in their heels and getting really angry with folks who don't agree with them. Now, as some of you already know, in the very earliest days of Christianity, the very first followers of Jesus were all Jewish. But once the Lord sent the apostle Peter to share the gospel with a Roman centurion named Cornelius, Christianity began to spread among the Gentiles as well. So that by the time the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, it was a church comprised of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Now, in the early days of the church, you need to understand they were much, much stupider than the church is today. You see, today, when you get lots of different kinds of people in a church, most churches tend to separate them out into different services. You have a contemporary service for people who like loud music and a traditional service for people who like hymns, a dressy service, a casual service, a liturgical service, a charismatic service. That way... Nobody ever has to grow up. Nobody has to prefer others. Nobody ever has to defer to others. Nobody ever has to deny themselves. Everybody can get exactly what they want, and everybody gets to stay selfish and self-centered. Back in Paul's day, they were not that smart. So they kept trying to disciple people. Apparently, they expected people to grow up and change. They expected people to work through stuff and to love each other enough 
to push through and resolve even very difficult issues. Now, one of the big bones of contention back then, especially between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, had to do with matters of certain Old Testament laws. Old Testament, especially uh, Jewish, uh, especially was a big deal for the Jews and the Gentiles. Laws that forbid you to eat certain foods, uh, laws that uh, required you to observe certain days. And while that may not seem like a very big deal to you, it was a huge deal back then. In fact, it was such a big deal that before God could get the Apostle Peter to go and share the gospel with that Roman centurion I mentioned a little bit ago, he had to speak to him directly through a prophetic vision three times. And even then, after Peter went and led this entire household full of Gentiles to Jesus, many of the Jewish Christians were angry with him and demanded that he explain himself. Now, luckily for Peter, he had that whole cool three-time prophetic vision from God story to tell them. But this was a big deal in the early church. The Apostle Paul found himself frequently writing to Christians and saying, listen, don't get mad and stress out over what other people are eating. He writes about it here in chapter 14. He says, listen, I know some of you guys will eat anything, and some of you guys are very particular about what you eat. But the bottom line is this. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Now, we don't know the exact issue with the non-meat guys in this particular instance. Maybe they were concerned that the meat Paul was talking about had been sacrificed to idols. That was an issue in the church at Corinth. Maybe they were concerned that the meat wasn't kosher. Maybe it was coming from animals uh, frowned upon in the book of Leviticus. Or maybe it wasn't being butchered in proper kosher fashion. Maybe they were just sensitive first century hippie vegetarians. We don't know the exact issue. But we do know for certain that some people in the Roman church had issues with eating at least some kinds of meat. And the division over it was threatening the unity of the church. Now, I personally believe this split had to do with Old Testament Jewish rules and traditions. And I believe that because Paul goes on in the very next verse, in verse 5, to say, say this. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And this is where, you've got to stick with me here, because this is where it gets fascinating. I want you to notice that Paul exhorts these two competing camps in the church and tells them each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, Paul is saying to the people in these competing camps in the church, you need to be fully convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, dead set in your own opinion. And he says that to people whose views are diametrically opposed to one another, and he says it at a time he is trying to disciple them to grow up together in Jesus, so they can function and walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you're not catching on, let me try this, say this a different way. Notice that Paul's approach to them was not to encourage them to come together and talk about their differences and try and find some common ground and try and make some compromise so they can all believe exactly the same thing. That's not at all what Paul says. 
In fact, opposite of that, he says, make sure in your position you are fully, absolutely, indubitably convinced that you are right and the other guy is wrong. That your opinion on eating meat is the right opinion on eating meat. That your opinion on the holy days is the right opinion on the holy days. And then from that position of being fully convinced that you're right and the other guy is wrong, from that position of absolute certainty, Paul says, then honor and defer to the guy you're convinced is totally wrong. That's incredible. And yet, that's how the Apostle Paul discipled these early Christians to treat each other and function together in the church. No wonder today so many churches decide it's just easier to start a second service. Listen, to the great detriment of the church and to the detriment of the advancement of the kingdom of God and the purposes of Christ, many churches today have given up on discipling their people as followers of Jesus. They've simply taken a live and let live position. They let people be, they leave them alone to carry on in immaturity, to carry on in pettiness, to carry on in meanness or judgmentalism or selfishness or any of a million other sins. So that in the church today, petty disagreements over all sorts of disputable matters frequently result in somebody getting angry and leaving. I want us to think about this a little bit more. Let's assume for the moment that the actual issue here in this case in Romans was about eating meat was about Jewish uh, Levitical dietary law. That means it was a dispute about what God says and how God wants you to live. In other words, this was no small matter. And if that was indeed the case, then the, uh, the non-meat crowd would have no doubt been thoroughly convinced they were following the Word of God, they were honoring the Word of God, and they could point to the Old Testament passages to prove it. On the other hand, the Apostle Paul made it perfectly clear he was firmly in the other camp. He hinted at it when he wrote in verse 2, another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And he states his position explicitly when he writes in verse 14, as one who is in the Lord, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. And again, he writes in verse 20, all food is clean. And I want you to notice that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is fully convinced in his opinion. Just like he urged all of his readers to be in verse 5. And so with both sides fully convinced that they have rightly comprehended the will of God in terms of what to eat, Paul then says, now, stop fighting. Stop judging. Stop looking down on one another. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. And a few verses after that, he writes this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat 
anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else, Paul says, that will cause your brother to fall. You see, the New Testament apostles taught that God is more pleased and God is more glorified when you love him and love people than when you just obey a bunch of rules. And when it comes to disputable matters, that is, when it comes to matters not expressly covered under the moral law of God or under the New Testament law of Christ, matters like Old Testament dietary restrictions or the observance of certain holy days, matters like whether to baptize by immersion or by sprinkling, matters of dress or hair length, Matters like types of music or styles of worship. Matters like how quickly should the economy reopen in a pandemic. Or matters like should I wear a mask in a grocery store. When it comes to disputable matters like those, Paul says be fully convinced in your own mind. And then show grace to the people who disagree with you. And whenever you can, go ahead and defer to them. Listen, if you don't think a mask is needed when you run to the store to grab an extra jug of milk, I don't have a problem with that. But I would encourage you to consider wearing one anyway. Simply for the peace of mind of the other shoppers there who don't think like you do. And if you think everybody should put on a mask every time they walk out of their house, I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem with you trying to impose that belief on everybody else. I'm going to tell you, based on lots and lots and lots of reading, I have become personally convinced that mask wearing is primarily most needed for those who uh, are infected and have the potential to infect others. And even then, it is most necessary when you're in close quarters in tight surroundings for long periods of time. That means, if I'm right, that for most of us who have been genuinely wise and genuinely careful about where we go and to whom we expose ourselves, for most of us in those situations, wearing a mask is honestly largely about making other people feel better. Listen, at the heart of this entire chapter, Romans chapter 14, and the discipleship imperative the Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish is the simple call to grow up in loving God and loving people, to put the needs and the concerns of others ahead of your own opinions and wants. Paul is trying to disciple Christians to care more about others than about themselves. To disciple Christians to care more about others than about being right. To disciple Christians to care more about others than about having things go their way. But let me be very, very clear. Paul is not calling Christians to live and let live. Live and let live is not a biblical philosophy. It is easy, listen to me, it's easy for people who don't care about masks to say, I won't get mad if you wear a mask, so you don't get mad if I don't wear one. It's easy for those people to say that because by definition they don't care. That's live and let live. But the truth is, At its heart, it is really a little bit self-centered. It's not really showing love for the other person. It's not even really taking a moment to think very carefully, to think very carefully about where the other person's coming from. 
See, for something who doesn't care about something, for someone who doesn't care about something, to tell someone who does care, let's just live and let live, is really simply saying to that other person, let's just do this my way. It's saying, I don't care about this. You do care about this. Let's agree together not to care about this. That's the idea of live and let live. But God doesn't call you to live and let live. God calls you to love and let it go. To care more about the other person, to care more about the relationship, to care more about unity in the body of Christ than the other stuff. And so Paul, who is fully convinced that all food is clean, can go on to write, all food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. That is not live and let live. That is love and let it go. Love and let go of your rights. Love and let go of being right. Love, and every chance you get, let the other person have their way for the sake of the relationship and for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. And by the way, it works the other way too. Just because you care deeply about something does not necessarily mean you're right. You need to faithfully do everything you are fully convinced God has called you to do. And you need to faithfully refuse to do everything you are fully convinced God's forbidden you to do. But unless it is plain in the scriptures, you have no room to judge anyone else who sincerely disagrees with you. Listen. Trying to hold other people to how you think they ought to behave is a recipe for disaster and will shipwreck your life. One of the most destructive things people can do in terms of relationships is to get wrapped up in how they think someone else ought to do something. And I see it almost every day. Somebody gets completely torqued out of their frame because somebody else doesn't behave the way they think they should have. They didn't call and check on them like they thought they should have. They didn't thank them as sincerely as they thought they should have. They watched a movie they thought they shouldn't have. The details will change, but the common denominator is always the same. Somebody didn't do things the way they thought they should have. These are the people who hop around from church to church, the people who struggle to hold on to close friends or make close friendships because they're critical and judgmental. These are people who are frequently hurt, easily offended, and often angry, fundamentally because they're immature and selfish. They've not yet been discipled to love and let it go. Paul puts it pretty clearly. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. And again, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not bring strife into the church over the issue of wearing masks. Do not bring disunity into the church over your personal politics. Don't you hinder the work of God 
with petty arguments over disputable matters. It's time to grow up as disciples of Jesus. It's time to love and let it go. Let's pray. Father, once again, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. Your clarion call to love you and love others and, and to, to put those ahead of our own wants and desires. To be ready to surrender our rights, to be ready to surrender our being right for the sake of relationship and the unity of the body of Christ. Lord, grow us up as your people. Make us disciples who make disciples. Disciple us to be more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah.